Welcome to the A Fire podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. For over a year, global investors have been confronted with the meaningful challenge of a closed border. Thanks to COVID-19 and all the closing of borders we've done around the world. If your investments are on the other side of a border, what do you do? You talk to the experts. And as the rules around visas and exemptions change and the closures themselves change due to evolving infection rates in different locales, staying up to date with the experts is difficult but essential. So today, I've asked two people to talk with us. Elizabeth Stern, she's a partner and leader of Mayor Brown's Global Mobility and Migration Practice, and Carl Risch, formerly the Assistant Secretary of State for Consular Affairs, where he managed the worldwide visa and passport function for the U.S. government, and as a Deputy Director of the Executive Office for Immigration Review at the U.S. Department of Justice. And he is now a partner at Mayor Brown, working with Liz's group. So together, they've promised to give us a Socratic dialogue uh, that will help us have a more nuanced view uh, and details around how this kind of complicated problem of crossing borders um, is during these extraordinary times. So thank you, Liz and Carl, for joining the AFIRE podcast and take it away. We're delighted to be here. And as I hear your opening remarks, it reminds me that a year ago, roundabout, Mayor Brown's global mobility work began, a global mobility group began designing a global travel navigator to track the changes that were happening for what seemed like it would be a moment in time of travel lockdowns and quarantines, little knowing that this um, travel infection rate, if you will, would continue deep into 2021. At the same time that we were doing that, Carl Risch, who of course is on with me today, was designing how the US government would manage these travel changes in response to viral conditions around the world. And again, I think thinking that that might be for a moment in time, not anticipating that it would be for as long as it would. So Carl, I think from your vantage point, my first question to you is to talk about this in the context of what a new administration, the Biden administration, envisions as its top issues today. How does this integrate into it? Well, thank you, Liz. And you know, it really is a pleasure to talk to you and to everyone today about generally immigration policy under the Biden administration, but also these travel restrictions and other uh, conditions that we're dealing with right now in the global mobility space. As someone who's dedicated his professional life to the field of immigration law, you know, much of it in public service, it really is a delight to, to be here to talk about these issues. And I hope I leave everyone with you know, re really a clear picture of what these policies are and how they really will impact businesses now and then in, in the coming years. But I should say that you know, President Biden he came into office, it's just over four months now. And when he arrived on the scene, he made a lot of big promises about overhauling 
the U.S. immigration system. There were a flurry of executive orders targeting many Trump administration policies, things like the uh, ban on travel of nationals from a variety of countries. Those were rescinded. And he promised to support sweeping changes to the immigration laws. Many really expected this to turn into a, a, a truly radical and abrupt shift from the policies of the Trump administration. We've seen some clear departures, certainly in a few areas, but for the most part, what we've really seen is more akin to a steadying of the ship than the administration moving in a completely new direction, especially when it comes to business immigration and global mobility. So as for what the administration will be focusing on now, I don't really see a lot of changes over the next year. There'll be incremental improvements over the next few years. And the Biden administration, you know, it made it clear from the very beginning that interior enforcement in the southwest border would be its priorities, not necessarily business immigration. They've spent a lot of time recently rolling back some of those policies and implementing or re-implementing some of the Obama-era policies involving interior enforcement and the border. But there has been some very recent movement involving business immigration, particularly, and business travel. So just yesterday, on June 9th, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, or USCIS, they announced a few policy changes that really will impact many people in the business immigration world. Because there's so many backlogs and other problems with with moving immigration paperwork right now, the Immigration Service announced yesterday that if a company will suffer severe financial loss or if the employer is a nonprofit organization furthering the cultural or social interest of the United States, they can seek expedited processing of their paperwork. These are small policy tweaks and they're welcome, but larger or regulatory or statutory changes, I think, will be slower in coming. Carl, I think that's really important because I think sometimes it is the almost logistical and operational obstacles that hurt our clients the most and that we hear every day. But tell me a little bit, tell us, what immigration issues do you think will most impact multinational companies and their workforces in 2021? I think you've already alluded to part of that. Well, that's, that's an, it's an excellent question. And as I mentioned, there will be incremental changes and, and policy shifts here and there. Uh, I don't expect them to be hostile to international business or business travel, but I don't expect them to be particularly uh, helpful either, at least not right away. But the policies that will, or the situation that will no doubt be very significant in the coming year will be first, the the ongoing travel restrictions that restrict travel to the United States from 33 countries due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And second, the enormous backlog and processing delays at USCIS and at the embassies and consulates overseas, which is the USCIS side of it is what was just mentioned yesterday in that policy change that was announced by USCIS. So when President Biden took office, many expected that he would just roll back many of these Trump-era travel bans associated with the pandemic. Well, everyone was surprised, well, not everyone, many were surprised 
that not only did President Biden not roll back these restrictions, he expanded them to more countries. And for a period of time, he even significantly narrowed the eligibility criteria for exceptions from those bans. Never, ever has international travel and global mobility been so disrupted and so complicated and multinational corporations continue to struggle with moving their employees to the United States even now. But I think it's helpful to review exactly where we are with these COVID-19 travel bans and why they'll be so impactful going forward. There are four different presidential proclamations currently banning travel to the United States from, as I mentioned, 33 countries. Two of these were signed by President Trump and two of these were signed by President Biden. Importantly, these are not outright bans. Instead, they, they actually only ban travel to individuals who were in a covered country, one of these 33 countries, in the 14-day period preceding their entry or attempted entry into the United States. Therefore, someone could always circumvent this ban by first traveling to a country not covered by the ban, waiting there for 14 days, and then traveling to the United States. So the first ban was put in place by President Trump on travel from China on January 31st, 2020, over 16 months ago. Additional bans have been put in place on travel from Ireland, the United Kingdom, many European countries, all the European countries in the Schengen zone, such as France and Germany, Iran, Brazil, South Africa, and India. Some of these are very large countries, so they greatly disrupt international travel. The Trump administration actually tried to rescind some of these bans in mid-January, but the Biden administration quickly put them back in place and then eventually expanded the bans to include South Africa and India for the first time. Where the Biden administration really differs from the Trump administration on the COVID travel bans, however, is on the exceptions from the bans. From the beginning, the COVID bans contain numerous exceptions. Some were quite straightforward. For example, U.S. citizens are not covered by the bans, although they do need to get a negative COVID test now in order to fly to the U.S. Other exceptions are for travelers with U.S. citizen spouses and minor children. Over the past few months, the Biden administration has adopted a policy of expanding the exemptions available to certain types of travelers and broadening the eligibility criteria for others. This appears to be perhaps in lieu of rescinding the travel bans outright. Many of these Biden exemptions directly impact multinational companies and the mobile workforce. First, the Department of State exempted all immigrants from the travel bans. By immigrants, I mean those people coming permanently to the United States and who will receive a green card. Because of this class of exempted travelers could include employment-based immigrants, some managerial and executive transferees or other employees of large companies could find themselves exempt from the ban if they're trying to access immigrant visa services. Second, the State Department will now grant national interest exceptions to travel to the U.S. to those business travelers who are seeking to provide vital support or executive direction for critical infrastructure and those traveling to provide vital support or executive direction for significant economic activity in the United States. The Department of State just at the beginning of last week broadened this category to now include executive direction and significant economic activity, which are both tremendously important expansions. 
these exceptions could, could apply to many different types of travelers, intercompany transferees, H-1B visa holders, technicians, and many, many just everyday business travelers coming to the U.S. for important purposes. By opening up the United States to more business travel, but still shutting it off to most touristic travel, the Biden administration has retained some control over the flow of people into the U.S., but it can still avoid the political exposure associated with fully rescinding many of these COVID travel bans. While some of the COVID bans might be rescinded in the coming weeks or months, I guess we'll, we'll just have to see, others are likely to remain in place for some time. And I expect to see the administration to continue to tweak and expand the eligibility criteria for exemptions so that they can start including more and more types of travelers as conditions permit. Unfortunately, the process for applying for these national interest exceptions remains arbitrary and unpredictable. The requests are submitted direct, directly to the embassy where the traveler resides. There's no centralized process. And each embassy has its own rules, dedicated email addresses, and processing times. In Rome, processing can take months, while in some European countries, we're seeing approvals come back in a matter of days. Some embassies closely scrutinize each request, while others appear to barely read them. I've noticed that some embassies haven't updated their public guidance since the standards significantly broadened last week, so it's unclear whether they're even applying the right standard. So going forward, there will be many challenges this year when it comes specifically to these travel bans and how to navigate through these different obstacles to permit business travelers to come to the U.S. But things are looking up. It seems that the State Department continues to broaden these exemptions and is trying to find ways to accommodate travelers. I think our experience has been as well with the, the breadth of exceptions that businesses have come to us on, Carl, having the information ready on what the State Department as a whole is looking at, being persistent with a narrative that is provided to the embassies and consulates in a language they understand, providing that language in a digestible format, not overpowering them with too many exhibits and too much volume at a time when they're already overwhelmed, has really paid off. But it does take persistence, and I think companies will continue to see that. The executive direction exception is really terrific because it's no longer just the plant workers putting together the uh, next wave of COVID sanitation or medical devices that get in, but also senior executives that need to be in the United States in order to keep a global business running. I think with that said, the second aspect of questions that we really just want to touch on is the enormous backlogs and processing delays at U.S. CIS and the embassies and consulates that have arisen in the course of the pandemic, the shift in staffing and work from home, and just the high volume of requests that a crisis situation generates. Carl, can you speak to this and how long businesses can expect to be dealing with those backlogs? Well, I expect these backlogs to persist for the rest of the year, most certainly and then well into 2022. And in some locations, it could become a problem that will be difficult for the State Department particularly to ever resolve until they have addressed some of their staffing and revenue problems. 
it's important to keep in mind that USCIS and the Bureau of Consular Affairs, which manages the embassy and consular services around visas, both of those bureaus are fee-funded for the most part. Their ability to provide services is directly tied to the fees they collect. USCIS and the State Department, but particularly the Bureau of Consular Affairs, will be getting some appropriated money to, to keep them afloat this year, but not nearly enough, particularly for the State Department, to resume normal a normal service level. Consular processing overseas was, was totally devastated by the pandemic. In 2020, the Bureau lost over a billion dollars in fees. It's a $4 billion organization, so it's a very large drop in their fee revenue. And without sufficient revenue, the, the agencies, particularly the State Department, will continue to struggle with staffing and with modernization and and just getting out from underneath this massive backlog that grew during the many, many months that their services were disrupted. Just the other day, we made a visa appointment for uh, a client that was applying in Germany. And the earliest appointment we could get for that particular visa type, which was just a standard tourist visa or business visa, was May of 2022. So this is something we're seeing around the world where just routine visa applications that used to take a couple days or a few weeks to get an appointment, they're now taking many, many months, if not almost a full year, before you can get into that embassy to apply for the visa. The State Department is prioritizing certain types of visas, student visas, family uh, visas for immigrants that are reunite, reuniting with family members in the United States. But the demand uh, is overwhelming and the State Department's ability to meet it is, is very, very limited. And unfortunately, as, as the economies start, start ramping up and there's more business travel, there's more demand for travel, people feel uh, more uh, comfortable with travel, uh, both business and for tourism, it'll be very difficult for the State Department to, to keep up with that demand over the next year or two. Carl, I think in view of that landscape, um, what our listeners will want to hear is what should multinational corporations be doing in terms of preparing for this new reality? What is the best guidance that we can offer them now? Um, and perhaps part of it is listening to things like this and keeping them informed. But why don't you address what are our tips for multinational employers? Well, the biggest tip I would give them, it would be that employers expecting to bring in foreign workers or business visitors, bringing them into the United States, they need to be extremely strategic and creative in their approach to immigration and visa processing. They need to plan far in advance. Uh, they need to be able to, they need to look at alternate locations for processing. There are certain posts in the world, American embassies and consulates, where the where the backlogs are not as great. And if possible, to try to uh, explore, at least explore whether or not it would be feasible to apply for a visa in a different location. Sometimes that's not the best plan, depending on the visa type. Sometimes it's not permitted at all, depending on the situation in that country, perhaps quarantines and other restrictions. But just looking at uh, alternatives around visa types, around places to apply, exploring whether or not a visa is even necessary for that type of travel. Many Europeans, of course, can travel to the U.S. temporarily without a visa. 
uh, if they can spend time in a third country uh, before traveling on to the U.S., they can not only circumvent the travel ban, but also circumvent the need to have a visa, depending on what the purpose of their travel is. So fully exploring these different alternatives, seeking the advice of experts, I think is one of the most important things an employer can do. Uh, they may find themselves uh, frustrated repeatedly in trying to facilitate travel for employees and business visitors. Now, Carl, you, you haven't made me feel any better um, about it. Um, the, the, what a what a pickle uh, we find ourselves in uh, on a global basis, and anyone that is operating globally um, is going to have some challenges uh, in front of us. Uh, are there some particular things that, that uh, the two of you are watching that might mean that uh, colleagues in Germany will be able to uh, travel before spring of next year? I think actually Carl alluded to the fact that in spite of the, the, the backlogs, really the oppressive circumstances for the consulates, there really is an inclination in the administration to try to get to yes. We need to be listening closely to the cues that they're sending and help the companies that we're serving identify the people that really need to get here. It's a good time to do some triage and sorting of who are those senior executives in particular that really need to come and under what circumstances. And I think we can get them here. But again, that advanced planning makes sense. The company that wants to host a conference, as one of our clients did just this past week, really felt that they needed their senior executive core together because they themselves are planning for what happens post-COVID. We had to do some exceptional and extraordinary communications, but were able to assist them to achieve their goals on time. Needless to say, that didn't happen overnight. It took a significant amount of planning and the strategic objectives of the company, which have a direct impact on the U.S. and global economy, had to be reviewed. So there is hope. It's just more selective, more targeted, and more thoughtful planning is the key. So the takeaway I get from that and from all the things that, Carl, you said earlier as well is that uh, all of us, Need to make sure that we kind of go through, do that triage, think about who needs to, to cross the border, who not, and have a plan um, in terms of a communication plan and where we're going for that. Um, I hear you loud and clear. Well, uh, I think we've we've pretty much run out of time, but this uh, this is really important. I think we're going to continue to talk with both of you uh, in the in the months to come. Um, please let me know the instant anything substantively changes, and we'll have another conversation uh, as as we go through this. And uh, I know that my that my members are paying very close attention to this and want to find the best path forward um, as they figure out what needs to be done or said. Uh, so uh, I encourage anyone who's listening, um, and yes, this is part of the reason why you listen to the AFIRE podcast is to get up to date, hear from the experts, um, and you can actually have your phone alert you that another podcast is ready. They come out a couple times a week. Uh, if you subscribe to Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Podchaser, Pandora, and more to come. But that's that's 90% of the, 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 the podcasting services that are out there. 
uh, we try to make it as easy as possible for all of you to subscribe. So that being said, I, I just want to thank Carl, Liz, uh, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to attend. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast. Thank you.